Hey guys, I'm Ronnie Cordray, and with me is Grant Roth, our men's resident, which means he's with us with men's ministry the next year and a half, and we're pumped to have him. And on behalf of us, we would like to say to you guys, welcome to Man Challenge. We are in the middle of session three uh, of our winter digital Man Challenge edition. And so today our title is From Greedy to Generous. And so to set that up, I want to back up just a tad bit to right before this passage that we're going to dive into this morning. It comes from Acts 4, verses 29 to 31. And in, that, in the earlier part, you've got these two guys, Peter and John. They've just been released from jail. They've just been commanded by the Sanhedrin. We don't operate with a Sanhedrin here at Southeast, so that's a weird term. But it's basically, back in that day, it was super important religious people, teachers, experts of the law, high pre, I mean, just all of yep. these, you know, people that, that probably owned signet rings, I think it's safe to say, and they wanted people to kiss them, but not to, they, they were just ordered by this important group of people. Don't you dare speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Don't even think about it at all. And they, they gave him a lot of threats. Um, they gave him big time threats. Then they let him out of prison and they let him go. Well, the first thing Peter and John do is they go back to their dudes, maybe their New Testament Acts man challenge group. We don't know. But it says as soon as they left, they went to their group of people, believers. And I, I'm both, I both love and, and humbled Grant at how the people responded to what they told him. So they've just told him like, man, we got, our life threatened and all these things. And it says this in verse 29 to 31. This is how these believers responded to them talking about fear of life. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then down in 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I say I'm humbled by that because if you and Mason came to me and just shared what Peter and John did. I would love to say that's what I would pray. I think I would pray, God, consider their threats, these people, and protect Mason and Grant. Yeah. But that's not how they responded. They said, consider him, and it's significant, but enable us to speak with great boldness. So this has just happened. Now we're ready to jump into today's passage of Scripture. And I just want to give one general caution before we actually get rolling. There's a caution on both ends of the spectrum. There's potentially a caution um, to, to some of you guys who, as we read this scripture, you maybe are going to be tempted to look at another dude at your, in your group or here at Southeast, whatever it is, and who lives in a significantly bigger house than you do. They drive a significantly better car than you do, and it appears that they make a significantly, uh, a significant more amount of money than you do. And a temptation can be internally, if this is speaking to you, is for you to look at that person and think, well, man, I hope he's listening to this. Uh, and I hope he applies this today. Uh, while we read this passage, conversely, it's easy to slip into temptation if you do live in the bigger house and drive the better car and, and have the better salary and the better uh, perks and all that stuff to look at someone who lives in a smaller, smaller house and a smaller car, thinking, well, yeah, it'd, it'd be easy for you to apply this because mm -hmm. you don't have much to lose. Right. 
and, or even, you know, well, man, if I applied this, you know, you're going to make out like a bandit. And yeah. so, guys, I, I don't want to spend any more time on that, but just, just a caution uh, that that could be a potential temptation as we're going through this passage. So um, as it is true with every verse of the Bible, I want you to read it through the lens of God. How do you want me personally to apply what I'm reading and hearing? With that being said, it's captioned, the believers share their possessions. Grant, go ahead and read Acts 4, 32 to 37. Yep. Uh, so Acts 4, 32 to uh, 37. This is what Luke, the author of Acts, writes. He says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses would sell them, and they would bring the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And then we're introduced to Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, and then Luke explains there, which means son of encouragement, who sold a field he owned, and then he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Yeah, thanks for reading that. So I want us to circle back to verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. So the, the message says it this way, the whole, all of the believers were united as one. I love, I love how it uses the word united. And the Bible talks a lot, men, about the heart and the mind. It's not just talked about here in this passage. In Proverbs 4.32, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says, hey, above all this, in other words, if you haven't caught any other wisdom nuggets I've laid, don't miss this one. In verse, in verse 23 of chapter 4, he says, Guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Everything flows from, from your heart. Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yep. Um, Colossians three twenty three says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. And then Romans 12, 2 brings in the mind. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So clearly, and there's other passages we could point to in verses, but clearly God says that our heart and mind is a big deal that we pay attention to it. So Grant, with that being said, what is it, what does it look like today to be one in heart and mind? Mm. Yeah. So like asking that question, what does it look like in the year 2021 for uh, us as followers of Jesus to be one in heart and mind. Um, I think the, the way we can answer that question faithfully uh, and doing justice to this text is to actually try and understand and grasp a little bit of what that phrase would have meant to these people, the original readers of uh, the book of Acts and what it meant for these people to be united uh, in heart and mind. And then that will help us understand what it looks like yeah. to be united heart and mind uh, in the, the 21st century uh, here today. Um, so as we were studying this this week, I, I looked into that, that phrase, heart and mind, um, and learned quite a bit about it. Uh, in this ancient culture, the heart was kind of seen as 
essentially the core of who a human was. It was where you thought, it was uh, where you had feelings, it's where you developed your beliefs. Uh, and that's a little bit different than, than what it is in, in our culture today. I think sometimes when I think about where all of my thinking takes place and where I formulate my beliefs, we might say, well, that happens in our brains, that happens in our heads. But these ancient people would say, no, that, that took place in your heart. It's the core of who you are. Mm. Uh, and I think that changes the way that I, I see this. So it's, it's talking about being one at the core of who you are. And then that word mind that uh, Luke uses here, it's uh, often, it, even in your translation, it might be uh, translated as soul. Uh, and I, that, I think that might be a better translation because it is really referring to just the inner person. It's not just talking about our brain. It's not just talking about this this organ in our heads that, that, have, uh, that has a bunch of chemicals and neurons that are firing and things like that. It's talking about uh, the entire inner self, the, who we are on the inside. And so it, it feels like what, what Luke is really driving at here, he, he's saying, yeah, these believers, these followers of Jesus in, in the first century AD, they were uh, united uh, at the very core of who they were. These people... Um, they, they were really just on the same page at the core of who they were. Um, and so trying to figure out how do we emulate that in 2021 as uh, a men's ministry at Southeast, how do we emulate that as just followers of Jesus in the body of Christ? I think it starts with remembering what was important to these, these believers in the year 30 AD, whenever this is taking place, uh, what was important to them and then what was peripheral? What was not so important to them? What things did they ignore? And what things did they really focus in on? And I think we see that the things that really mattered to these people, uh, the truth that Jesus died, uh, was raised from the dead, that he was their king, and that they were living in his kingdom uh, and following him and serving as his presence on this earth. What was unimportant to them was their racial background, uh, language barriers, uh, financial and social status. So they would set a lot of things aside, ignore uh, things that might divide them. And instead they clung to the one thing that united them, which was uh, Jesus and who Jesus was for them. And I think it's the same truth for us today that if we want to be one in heart and mind in the year 2021, we might have to set aside some things that divide us, the unimportant details that divide us, like our social and financial status, like our race, like uh, our political leanings, whatever it might be. There are some things that might matter in this, this world, and they have some importance, but they're not as important as the, the truth of the fact that Jesus uh, died, was raised back to life, and now he's the king, and we're living in his kingdom and we're here to serve him. Uh, so when we cling to that truth and set aside the other things, I think that enables us to live uh, as believers that are one in heart and mind. Yeah, that's that's good. I uh, appreciate you sharing that. And then that, that last part, I think, it sticks out. It's like 3D as well. It says they shared everything they had. Yeah. You know, I think of uh, Kyle Eidelman a few weeks ago in this Unleashed series. He, he talked, he said these words, and it's stuck with me. He says... Um, our compassion and generosity give the gospel credibility or give credibility to the gospel. And that's, that, that's definitely applicable here. You know, it's crazy to think how unnatural just that verse alone is, you know, that they were one in heart and mind. It didn't mean they all agree on everything, yeah. right? Yeah. But they were just committed to like, we are united here. And then it says they, 
they shared everything they had. I mean, every dad who's hearing this, and this is man challenge, not dad challenge, but every dad hearing this, like you know this is true no matter what your age of your kids, that one of the one of, I've got three kids. One of the first things all three of my kids learned, because it's natural, is the word mine. Yeah. Uh, you know, mine. I didn't have to teach any of my three kids, hey, you really need to work on saying this word. And so to see that they were basically, as not basically, as adults saying, you know what? We're eliminating that from our vocabulary. Like mm. everything we have, it's just we're conduit just for God to use to flow through us. Yeah. And I, I just think that's so God honoring. So in light of that, they shared everything they had. Grant, why is this a necessary posture um, and commitment to honor God today? Mm. I think part of it is because uh, as, as human beings um, and specifically followers of Jesus were created to be reflections of God's character. And I think generosity uh is part of God's character uh, mm. himself. It's, uh, I mean, John three sixteen. one of the most famous verses in the Bible is kind of a, it attests to God's generosity. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave mm. his only son. And so when we look at God's own character, we see generosity being a big component of that. And so when we're being generous, uh, it's, it's uh, something that's pleasing and honoring to God, because, not because it's like we're going over the top and doing more than we're actually supposed to do. And God's like, wow, good job, guys. It's more so, hey, you're, you're, you look a lot like your father when you do that. You, you look a lot like God when you are being generous and reflecting his character in that way. Because God himself is so generous beyond even just sending Jesus into the, the world as a sacrifice for our sins. I think about like the fact that we can see colors and taste good food and Krispy Kreme donuts are evidence to me that God is very generous, that like he's allowed us to experience good things in this life. Um, but just recognizing God's own generosity, mm. it changes the way I think about our generosity. I see it as us reflecting God's character. And that's why it's an honoring thing. That's why it's a necessary thing. It's a reflection of, of who God is. Yeah, and it's important to point out, like we don't pursue being generous to earn God's favor because right. that's where it can get a slippery slope. It's like God loves us unconditionally yep. at max levels. This is a way that we can leverage making his son Jesus known right. and honoring him in the midst of it. You know, I sit there and I think, my, my dad, I'm grateful. Uh, my dad's still alive too. And growing up and even still today at age 47, my dad was and still is a great, has been a great model of, of what generosity can look like, not just within our family, but those around, those around him. And the truth is, Grant, I would love to tell you that, I'd love to tell you men that, you know what, I just made a decision several years ago that, you know what, I'm going to pursue a lifestyle of generosity. And it's like, all of a sudden God took away, like, I don't even like nice things anymore. <laughs> and I don't have the ability to be greedy. Yeah. But the truth be told, I have to, I ha when I say work at it, I have to tune in and, you know, renew my mind and my heart to be reminded of like, like, stuff and money. God's not anti-stuff and money. He just doesn't want to compete with it. And so I can, I can become greedy, you know, with the title from greedy to generosity or generous. I can like be pursuing being generous. And then in a sec, literally, literally a blink of an eye, yeah. get tight fisted and greedy. And so here's something, here's two truths I've learned uh, that are 
contrasting. One is I've learned that I've never regretted any money or nor any possession, any, any of my stuff um, that I've given away in, gen, in Jesus' name. I've, I, like, I was just thinking about that this week, and it's like, I can't think of one thing. And I've been taken advantage of before, like, which yeah. will happen. But conversely, I, 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 I have many regrets from times where I kind of had this wrestle in my mind, like, you know, God, are you, are you convicting me to give this money to this person right. or this organization or, or to this situation or to be helpful or my stuff? In, in times when I've talked my way out, um, or, you know, bottom line, just wasn't obedient to do it. And then it's like, man, that's, that's weak sauce. And it's not in a guilt-driven way, but I've just learned, like, I've never, I've never regretted any money I've given away. I've regretted times where I did nothing yeah, doing and opposite, had opportunities yeah. to do yeah. that. And again, it wasn't like God was proud of me when I was generous. He's shamed of me when I'm not. But it's just, it's an important thing. And we, it, I share that. We have to we have to work on this. Like this isn't just something that you pray this magic prayer and it happens. So I want to keep going. In verse 33, it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. Um, as, we, as we read that, like what does with great power mean? You know, because the interesting thing we could remove with great power, and it's still a significant verse that, you know, they were still focused on testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But you add that with great power, that prepositional phrase, like what is significant about that addition yeah. to that? Yeah. Well, the Spider-Man movies would teach us that with great power Ooh. comes great responsibility. So um, That might be the first Marvel reference that's been brought into Manchester. You know, so. Marvel might actually like the idea for that movie might be biblical. So uh, honestly, gr my answer to that question, what does great power mean? Uh, pretty short answer. I think in this context, it refers to the power of the Holy Spirit. I think uh, Luke is kind of referring to the fact that the Holy Spirit was uh, demonstrating his power through the apostles, their ability to continue to uh, preach boldly, no matter the risk. And then also the Holy Spirit's power in the apostles to um, perform miracles and do various things that would give credibility to their message of the gospel. So they're saying, Hey, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. And people would believe that because they just saw the apostles perform miracles and, mm. and do amazing things through the power of the spirit. And so I think that's kind of the great power um, that they're talking about there. Okay. And I think it's interesting that even in this, this passage, like how these verses build upon each other, mm -hmm. it's like, if they weren't, one in heart and mind, God's still powerful enough to do it. Right. But I don't think if they were, you know, if it says all the believers were divided and, you know, device all these things, I don't think it would then say, hey, there was much power in their testimony. True. Yeah. So I think it works in concert when we pursue unity um, in God honoring ways, it tends to open the door for him to flow freely and his power be revealed. So then it says, um, much grace was upon them all. How does that flow together, you know, with testifying with great power? Yeah. Uh, so that word that's translated as grace right there, it's a Greek word, uh, the Greek word charis. Uh, and it's basically a word that can refer to God's uh, favor upon people or a situation or God's activity 
in people, through people, in particular situations. Uh, and so we kind of get that, that sense there that God's working through the apostles when it says that God's grace is upon them. But then it says uh, that much grace was upon them. And that word that Luke uses there is another Greek word, megos. So he says there's megos charis, which means there's uh, much grace. But that word megos is where we would get our word for mega, something mm. big. And so I think about like, when I moved to Louisville, I was looking up like different touristy attractions in Louisville and we discovered the Louisville mega cavern. Mega cavern. That's right. And so I'm thinking, oh, they want me to know that this isn't just any old regular, this is not some dinky little cave. This is a mega cavern. And so when I think about what, how we use that word, it, we can kind of, it helps us understand a little bit more about like how, how Luke is describing God's activity and God's favor upon what was going on. Uh, in these verses, God was was at work in and through this group of believers in a, a mega way, in a really, really big way. Mm, that's good. Let's keep going. Verse 34 and 35, we'll, we'll read those together, tie those together. It says, there were no needy persons among them. Like from, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I think it's interesting that it says there were no, you know, speaking of mega and radical, like mm. no needy. It doesn't say, you know, there weren't that many needy people. Like it says there were none. Right. Like none. And this was before a welfare system was put into place, you know, like here in America. So that being said, like what do you see worth, worth noting from, from that passage. Yeah. I, I just think it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now. Uh, and the author kind of talks about how it, it's not as though God created too many people and not enough resources. And then he was surprised mm-hmm. that not everyone had enough, mm. uh, but that, that's not who God is. And, and I think we just need to recognize sometimes that if we were to live life open handed, uh, not clinging to what God gives us, living life as conduits of the, the resources that God gives us, like you were talking about, then I, we might just find that there's enough to go around. Yeah, I was, I heard years ago that like, like how the welfare system even came about was because, you know, when the church was being the church the way it was intended, like there wasn't a welfare system mm. because the church was taking care of people, you know, like in the New Testament day here yeah. where there were no needy persons That's and welfare came about at least, um, I hope this is correct because I'm talking <laughs> about it now, but I'm pretty sure it is, was because it was like the church stopped doing that. And so they had to fill in the gap. And so um, we have a lot of opportunity um, is, is what I take from that. So no needy persons back, uh, you weren't here, but in 2019 in December, we partnered with Benevolence. Uh, if you were part of Man Challenge uh, last year, you would know you know this. Um, we gave we had 71 Man Challenge groups. We gave uh, Benevolence gave us some seed money, a hundred dollars per table, and uh, we just we gave just general charge, basically like go out, open your eyes. You know, if there's a single mom, you know, like um, be Jesus to to her or the family. And the $7,100 turned into somewhere between sixty dollars and $80,000. We didn't like get receipts and stuff. But I can tell you in 25 plus years of ministry, it is one of my ministry highlights. Not because yeah. I was responsible for it, but it was just, I mean, even in the main challenge group, I was personally in it. It was like, dude, this, it, 
like God used that to ignite a, a spirit of generosity. And I mean, I, I'm like, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. And so um, things like that, I think, can be helpful. Um, verse 36 to 37, these last two here, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. In Acts 9.27, this same Barnabas is, uh, the, is the same guy who stuck up for Saul, who became Paul, um, after conversion when the disciples were afraid of him. Because this guy went from like persecuting Christians to right. literally yeah. like, boop, uh, talk about repentance, 180 change. And, and because his reputation preceded himself, like the disciples were like, uh, nice try. Like, is this some skip, some, some tactic for him to get in and then yeah. persecute us? And it says that Barnabas, like basically vouched for him. He's like, mm -hmm. Hey guys, like Barnabas is, or, or Saul, he's, he's the real deal. He's had a heart transformation which I think is a powerful thing, you know. So, so Barnabas is called the son of encouragement and clearly has some spirit-infused right. um, ability to encourage other people. This is going to get to a question for you here, Grant. You know, Romans twelve six says that we believers have different gifts. We call them spiritual gifts. And it says in verse 8, Paul says, if it's encouraging, let him encourage. But then in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as, as long as it's called today. And it doesn't say, therefore, if your gift is encouragement. Sure, yeah. So my question is, how do you distinguish the difference between, hey, this is your spiritual gift, so you need to encourage, versus like, hey, as a Christ follower, in pursuing, modeling, looking more like Jesus, like, whether it's a gift or not, we still need to be committed. Like, how do you, how do you process that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's definitely a, a tension to manage throughout scripture where there, there certainly are people who God gives uh, the capacity to do certain things better than the average person would. So in the case of encouragement, there are some people I would believe that God has gifted and equipped uh, a certain way so that they are able to encourage in a way that maybe I wouldn't be able to as well. Uh, I, think, I think you're one of those people. You're also that way with pastoring. Like there's just certain things that you can do in that area that I can't, but that doesn't mean that I, as a follower of Jesus, am not called to pursue that still. Um, I think about evangelism for me. Um, that's not something that I'm especially gifted in. Like mm. if I were to try and have a conversation with a random stranger about Jesus, it'd be very, very awkward. Um, that person would, I, it would it'd be an awkward situation and it's You'd happened before. Awkward. I would, I would definitely feel awkward, yeah. um, but God would work through the awkwardness. But evangelism is not something I feel very gifted at. I know it's not one of those things where God is, has just equipped me to do that uh, at a high capacity, but it's still something I'm called to do as a follower of Jesus. We see Jesus commanding his disciples. And at the end of the book of Matthew, he, he says, go make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the, the Father, the Son. And, the, and he gives them this great commission. I'm still called to live that out, even though uh, my gifting in that area might not be strong. And so I think there are plenty of uh, things like that in scripture. And encouragement certainly one of those things where you might be 
great at it. You might be gifted in it, but you're still called to do it even if you're not. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And encouragement's something we're, we're instructed to focus on mm-hmm. um, in authentic ways. So, guys, you've heard us, you know, the, the title of this is From Greedy to Generous, but this passage focuses all on generosity and being generous, and Barnabas is an example of that, and the, the early church here says all of them shared everything. So where's the greedy part come in? Well, we're not going to take time unpacking that with you guys um, to honor your time, but in Acts 5, verses 1 to 11, we want you guys to, as a group, Man Challenge group, to read this passage out loud. It's entitled Ananias and Sapphira, but want to give an a important disclaimer. You know, last week we were in Acts 22, and it talked about this Ananias yeah. who was a devout in, devout yeah. man of the law, and he was held in high regard and high esteem. Not the same Ananias here, guys. Um, you know, just basic, well, not the same Ananias. This Ananias you're going to read about uh, was long gone before for that one. And so just, just to keep that from being confusing. But Grant, um, thanks for taking some time unpacking this. What would you say, like, for you personally, like, is your one specific takeaway as you've been looking through this passage and yeah. studying through it? Yeah, I think um, passages like this one, um, and especially this one, are often convicting for me. Uh, it just reinforces the truth that, uh, in a very practical sense, the way we handle our finances reflects our faithfulness. Um, and the way that we use and manage the resources God has given us also reflects our faithfulness to God uh, in the way that we're allowing the Spirit to work through us. And so uh, the biggest takeaway for me is is really just wrestling with that thought. Am I uh, being generous with the things that God has given me? Am I reflecting God's character in that way by being generous uh, with what he's given me? And, and then really, if you guys read this Ananias and Sapphira passage, I wonder sometimes, am I more like Barnabas who sold a field and then gave it all to God and, and laid it all at the apostles' feet? Or am I more like Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Ananias and Sapphira who sell a field and then withhold part of it and try to keep it a secret, but also try and take credit for giving all of the money to the church. Am I being greedy or am I being generous with what God has given me? And that's just something I I wrestle with when I read this passage. Yeah, that's good. Um, For me, I'd say my biggest takeaway is, you know, just there's many yellow highlighted spots in this passage for me, but when it says there, you know, they shared everything they had. It doesn't say they shared everything they had extras of, you know, or an ex, you know, leftovers, like it said, everything they had. And so, and then, you know, combining that is there were no needy persons among them. For me, my personal takeaway is to really be intentional, not more, but intentional in Holy Spirit, help me to be sensitive and aware of seeing people who might have needs, who do have needs around me, within my different spheres of, of interactions and, you know, give me the surrendered obedience. Show, give me clarity on how you want me to, to this one at a time um, in Jesus name, not to just be a nice person, but in Jesus name to give the gospel credibility. Like, what do you want me to do? Holy spirit to, you know, at least one, one person at a time this week to, to remove a tangible need. Yeah. Um, that could lead to a spiritual need being met through a conversation. And so that, that was my con- conviction um, in, an, in an exciting way. 
Um, guys, in your man challenge guide, we're going to conclude here. But this week's man challenge, it says this week, find a practical way to be more generous than what you normally are. Tip a little bit extra, tithe a few dollars more, give away some of your clothes, buy or cook someone a meal. Guys, there's nothing wrong with that, um, with that man challenge. But quite honestly, like we can all do that without it disrupting our life, really. And so not in the spirit of bragging rights or any of that sort of thing. Guys, I'm going to give us a group man challenge, whatever group you're part of. Here's the man challenge. As a group today, in, in, in the, during your conversation, I want you as a group to identify at least one person that is within your, someone in your group's interaction, sphere of interaction, who has a definite need, whether that's a single mom or a person or a family that has an obvious need. And I want you as a group to at least put together a plan for this next week, how all of you, not just the person that knows them, is going to go all in at helping one at a time, you know, focus on one at a time and unleashing a spirit of generosity from within your group. Um, that is that is what man challenge is. You know, God calls us to be men of action, not men of proving ourselves, just men of action. And so, um, guys, be creative, have fun doing this. We don't have to put a scowl on our face and, and have this conversation, but I think it's going to be, actually, I know it's going to be awesome to see how God, that's God honoring and he will use it. It will also be a way to unite us um, and become one, used use to unite us becoming one in mind and heart. And so, fellas, what we'll ask of you, our men's staff, is, man, when you guys do that out in the community, take pictures, um, send them our way. Any crazy God stories, aha God stories um, moments that you have, please send them our way so we can we can celebrate along with you. But um, really excited to hear how that's going to be. We're going to pop some table discussion questions uh, for you. But before we close, Grant, will you pray us out of here? Yeah. Uh, God. Uh, just thank you so much for who you are um, and your incredible generosity. Um, God, we're grateful for the fact that you came into this world um, and you lowered yourself to the lowest possible uh, position. God, you uh, not only experienced death that you didn't deserve, you experienced um, death on a cross, God, um, for us uh, and in, in our place. And, and we're so grateful for that. And because of that, God, because of the generosity you've shown us, I pray that you would uh, be working in us this week. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be prompting us and, and moving us this week to um, be generous uh, and be compassionate and considerate of others around us uh, out, out of the overflow of, of your generosity toward us, God. Uh, we love you. Uh, we're so grateful for who you are. Um, and I pray that you'd be glorified in us and through us this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, fellas. See ya.